Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of TheMindsRenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And welcome to the second episode of 2024. Yes, given that the New Year's Eve show actually comes out on the 1st of January, this is officially the second show, in which I'm basically saying hello. So, uh, hello, I'm still here, and in which I'm also sharing three pieces of good news, or potential good news, three crumblings, as I'm calling them, crumblings of narratives, lies, deceptions that have been kind of hanging on for a while as the COVID era continues to slope off in the hope of being completely forgotten. And I think these three things are to be celebrated. What will come of them ultimately, I don't know, because each is challengeable or changeable, but I think they're good signs, all recent, and I want to mark them, even though you may be aware of them already or some of them, but not everybody will be aware. So here we go. Number one, Tedros, that is Tedros Adanum Gabriezus, is that how you pronounce it? I'm, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Uh, we know who we mean. The WHO Director General is reportedly a little miffed that the negotiations over what they call pandemic preparedness are not going quite as smoothly as he had hoped. So that's the general chin-wagging over the amendments to the WHO International Health Regulations and the so-called Pandemic Treaty that we've uh, talked about with James Roguski on this programme a couple of times last year. So the WHO power grab, as Roguski calls it, is not going too well just at the moment, it seems. Indeed, it is, and I'm quoting here The Guardian, which I don't often do, um, it is, quote, at risk of falling apart amid wrangling and disinformation. And they quote Tedros as complaining that this is due to, quote, a torrent of fake news, lies, and conspiracy theories, end quote. So not because people are concerned about bureaucratic overreach, lack of transparency, and lack of democratic oversight. No, just because of naughty lies by deplorable bloggers who should leave important matters to important people in important places wearing important suits and ties. However, he is reported as saying one thing, that might have something to it. That is, he might be technically correct, but which I think is nevertheless a bit disingenuous. He says that the idea that these negotiations threaten national sovereignty is completely false. Now, this is a point that I've never fully clarified in my conversations with James Roguski or in my general reading about this. To what extent would these WHO document changes, etc., actually threaten national sovereignty? Now, they, they sound that way. They do give that impression, you know, with the removal of terms like non-binding, which of course implies that what was hitherto non-binding is going to be binding. But what's the force of that legally? I never quite got an answer to that. What would actually what would that actually look like in practice in a new declared so-called emergency? Would nation-states really have no choice but to obey Tedros's every diktat? I'm, I'm not sure. It's not clear to me. Now, a possible answer to this has come my way. I say it's only possible. I'm still thinking this through, but I do want to share it. Um, thanks to a, a recent article. This is the 11th of January at the Brownstone Institute. 
and it's called The WHO's Managerial Gambit by Bruce Pardee, who is a professor of law at Queen's University. I'm not sure which Queen's University, there are lots of them, but one of them, one of them called Queen's University. And in that article, which I recommend people to read, he says that what's going on here has less to do with actual loss of national sovereignty than it has to do with governments willingly seeking to hide behind the appearance of having no choice in the future. He calls it a shell game. So let me just um, give you some quotes from this article. Um, Quote, technocrats learned a lot from COVID, not how to avoid policy mistakes, but how to exercise control. Public authorities discovered that they could tell people what to do. They locked people down, closed their businesses, made them wear masks, and herded them to vaccination clinics. In some countries, people endured the most extreme restrictions on civil liberties in peacetime history. The WHO is now proposing a new international pandemic agreement and amendments to the international health regulations. These proposals will make next time worse, not because they override sovereignty, but because they will protect domestic authorities from responsibility. States will still have their powers. The WHO plan will shield them from the scrutiny of their own people. Under the proposals, the WHO will become the directing mind and will of global health. It will have authority to to declare public health emergencies. National governments will promise to do as the WHO directs. Lockdowns, quarantine, vaccines, surveillance, travel restrictions and more will be on the table. That sounds like a loss of sovereignty, but it is not. Sovereign states have exclusive jurisdiction in their own territory. The WHO proposals are a shell game. The scheme, now listen to this, the scheme will provide cover to domestic public health authorities. Power will be ubiquitous, but no one will be accountable. Citizens will lack control over the governance of their countries as they already do. The danger that confronts us is still our own sprawling discretionary administrative state, soon to be boosted and camouflaged by an unaccountable international bureaucracy. And then he gives us an idea of what that might sound like in practice on the lips of a politician. Oh, the WHO has called for lockdowns, so we must order you to stay in your home. Sorry, but it's not our call. It's not our call. We have no choice. Now, I found that quite helpful. Please do read that, The WHO's Managerial Gambit by Bruce Party. That's on the Brownstone Institute website. It's only a six-minute read. Um, as I say, I'm still thinking this through, but uh, that does present a, a possible understanding of what might be going on here. But whatever is going on here, reportedly Tedros ain't pleased with the way things are going at the moment, so that's good, um, because I don't want in future either to be pushed around by an unelected global bureaucracy or to be pushed around by my own government hiding behind an unelected global bureaucracy amounts to the same thing. I don't want it. So if it's not going very well at the moment, if indeed that's the case, then that's good news as far as I'm concerned. And I hope it doesn't get any better for Ted Ross et al. with respect to that particular project. Number two, 
As you almost certainly will have heard, uh, but I'm going to repeat it anyway here uh, because I think it's symbolic of this crumbling that I'm talking about. Um, the Federal Court of Canada has recently concluded, so that's on the 23rd of January, that Justin Trudeau was not justified in using Canada's Emergency Act to clamp down on the truckers' protest in 2022. And in the conclusion of the judgment, so this is Section 372 of the relevant document, a certain Justice Richard Mosley says, quote, I have concluded, I'll say it in a, in a judicial way, I have concluded that the decision to issue the proclamation, by which he means, of course, the, uh, the use of the Emergency Act, uh, I have concluded that the decision to issue the proclamation does not bear the hallmarks of reasonableness, justification, transparency, and intelligibility, and was not justified in relation to the relevant factual and legal constraints that were required to be taken into consideration. So there you have it. It was not reasonable. He does say that he understands the pressure that the Canadian government was under at the time, and that he might well have agreed with what they did had he been in their position, etc., etc. But he says with the, quote, the benefit of hindsight and a more extensive record of the facts and law, unquote, he's now reaching this decision. So it wasn't reasonable. The Canadian government is going to appeal this decision, I believe, but maybe they won't bother. Um, but whatever, it's a significant blow, I think, a well deserved significant blow to the Trudeau government. They acted in a way that was not reasonable and I think most people who are following that story of the truckers protest back then would heartily agree. It was a justified people's protest and Trudeau wanted to shut it up and break it up. So there you go. Uh, in my view, not only not reasonable but indeed despicable. Number three. And this is the one that I particularly want to draw attention to, which I think fewer of you may be familiar with. The case of C.J. Hopkins, whose work I've mentioned on the podcast many times and whose books I very much enjoy. I have three of them here. Uh, Consent Factory Essays, Volumes 1, 2 and 3. The first, were, the first one is called Trumpocalypse. The second one is called the War on Populism, and the third one, which is particularly relevant to what I'm going to talk about here, is called The Rise of the New Normal Reich, which has got some, you know, it's got some language in it, but language which is absolutely essential for the, uh, for its purpose as being extremely cathartic during the COVID times. So, C.J. Hopkins is an American playwright and author living in Berlin who was unbelievably placed under criminal investigation last year by the Berlin State Prosecutor's Office with the threat of imprisonment or a fine hanging over his head for allegedly, quote, disseminating propaganda, the content of which is intended to further the aims of a former National Socialist organization, end quote. Let me just say that again. For allegedly, quote, disseminating propaganda, the content of which is intended to further the aims of a former national socialist organization. Okay, so obviously the Nazis. And that was because, or ostensibly because, of two tweets that he'd made in August 2022. Now, the first tweet showed the front cover art of his book, The Rise of the New Normal Reich, which shows a face mask you know, the one that we're all familiar with, a face mask under which you can just about make out a swastika, accompanied by the words, the words originally in German, but here they are in English, um, quote, the masks are ideological conformity symbols, that is all they are, 
that is all they ever have been, stop acting like they have ever been anything else, or get used to wearing them, unquote. And the hashtag translates as masks are not a benign measure. And the second tweet shows a photo of Karl Lauterbach, that's Germany's health minister, along with a quote by Mr. Lauterbach, uh, which reads, the masks always send out a signal. And for those two tweets, he faced criminal charges, even though throughout his career as a playwright and satirist, he has clearly opposed authoritarianism in general, and Nazism in particular, and it's quite clear to anyone who has a brain or is who or who is free to use their brain that those tweets were exactly the opposite of what those charges were claiming it's incredible to me and to anybody else who's been following this case that the german authorities pursued this but they did pursue this all the way to the court where just a few days ago 23rd of january he was acquitted absurd kafka-esque mockery of justice he calls it uh, rightly so uh, having in reality nothing to do with the charges lodged against him and everything to do with the fact that he criticised the authorities during COVID and they didn't like it and they wanted to make an example of him. So I, I am delighted, of course, and relieved that he's been acquitted, um, although they apparently could appeal the decision, but C.J. Hopkins thinks they probably won't bother with that. Um, but I do want to read out the rather wonderful statement that he made in court in front of the judge and in front of the prosecutor, which he's made available for every for anyone to share or republish it. So I shall republish it by reading it, um, because it says so much about him, C.J. Hopkins himself, uh, the absurdity of the charges, and it really captures the irony of the situation, you know, that this case against him is itself, you know, was itself a, a living example of exactly the authoritarianism that he's been complaining and warning about. So here it is, his statement to the court. Berlin District Court, January the 23rd, 2024. My name is CJ Hopkins. I am an American playwright, author, and political satirist. My plays have been produced and received critical acclaim internationally. My political satire and commentary is read by hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Twenty years ago, I left my own country because of the fascistic atmosphere that had taken hold of the USA at that time, the time of the US invasion of Iraq, a war of aggression based on my government's lies. I emigrated to Germany and made a new life here in Berlin because I believed that Germany, given its history, would be the last place on earth to ever have anything to do with any form of totalitarianism again. The gods have a strange sense of humour. This past week, thousands of people have been out in the streets all over Germany protesting against fascism, chanting, never again is now. Many of these people spent the past three years, 2020 to 2023, unquestioningly obeying orders parroting official propaganda and demonising anyone who dared to question the government's unconstitutional and authoritarian actions during the so-called Covid pandemic. Many of these same people, those who support Palestinian rights, are now shocked that the new form of totalitarianism that they helped usher into existence is being turned against them. And here I am, in criminal court in Berlin, accused of disseminating pro-Nazi propaganda in two tweets about mask mandates. The German authorities have had my speech censored on the internet and have damaged my reputation and income as an author. 
One of my books has been banned by Amazon in Germany. All this because I criticised the German authorities, because I mocked one of their decrees, because I pointed out one of their lies. This turn of events would be absurdly comical if it were not so infuriating. I cannot adequately express how insulting it is to be forced to sit here and affirm my opposition to fascism. For over 30 years, I have written and spoken out against fascism, authoritarianism, totalitarianism, etc. Anyone can do an internet search, find my books, read the reviews of my plays, read my essays and discover who I am and what my political views are in two or three minutes. And yet, I am accused by the German authorities of disseminating pro-Nazi propaganda. I am accused of doing this because I posted two tweets challenging the official Covid narrative and comparing the new nascent form of totalitarianism that it has brought into being, i.e. the so-called new normal, to Nazi Germany. Let me be very clear. In those two tweets, and in my essays throughout 2020 to 2022, and in my current essays, I have indeed compared the rise of this new form of totalitarianism to the rise of the best-known 20th century form of totalitarianism, i.e. Nazi Germany. I have made this comparison and analysed the similarities and differences between these two forms of totalitarianism over and over again, and I will continue to do so. I will continue to analyse and attempt to explain this new emerging form of totalitarianism and to oppose it and warn my readers about it. The two tweets at issue here feature a swastika covered by one of the medical masks that everyone was forced to wear in public during 2020 to 2022. That is the cover art of my book. The message conveyed by this artwork is clear. In Nazi Germany, the swastika was the symbol of conformity to the official ideology. During 2020 to 2022, the masks functioned as the symbol of conformity to a new official ideology. That was their purpose. Their purpose was to enforce people's compliance with government decrees and conformity to the official COVID pandemic narrative, most of which has now been proven to have been propaganda and lies. Mask mandates do not work against airborne viruses. This has been understood and acknowledged by medical experts for decades prior to the spring of 2020. It has now been proven to everyone and acknowledged by medical experts again. The science of mask mandates did not suddenly change in March of 2020. The official narrative changed. The official ideology changed. The official reality changed. Karl Lauterbach was absolutely correct when he said, the masks always send out a signal. The signal they sent out from 2020 to 2022 was, I conform. I do not ask questions. I obey orders. That is not how democratic societies function. That is how totalitarian systems function. Not every form of totalitarianism is the same, but they share common hallmarks. Forcing people to display symbols of conformity to official ideology is a hallmark of totalitarian systems. Declaring a state of emergency and revoking constitutional rights for no justifiable reason is a hallmark of totalitarian systems. Banning protests against government decrees is a hallmark of totalitarian systems. Inundating the public with lies and propaganda designed to terrify people into mindless obedience is a hallmark of totalitarian systems. Segregating societies is a hallmark of totalitarian systems. Censoring dissent 
is a hallmark of totalitarianism, stripping people of their jobs because they refuse to conform to official ideology is a hallmark of totalitarian systems. Fomenting mass hatred of a scapegoat class of people is a hallmark of totalitarianism. Demonizing critics of the official ideology is a hallmark of totalitarian systems. Instrumentalizing the law to punish dissidents and make examples of critics of the authorities is a hallmark of totalitarianism. I have documented the emergence of all these hallmarks of totalitarianism in societies throughout the West, including but not limited to Germany, since March of 2020. I will continue to do so. I will continue to warn readers about this new emerging form of totalitarianism and attempt to understand it and oppose it. I will compare this new form of totalitarianism to earlier forms of totalitarianism, and specifically to Nazi Germany, whenever it is appropriate and contributes to our understanding of current events. That is my job as a political satirist and commentator, and as an author, and my responsibility as a human being. The German authorities can punish me for doing that. You have the power to do that. You can make an example of me. You can fine me. You can imprison me. You can ban my books. You can censor my content on the internet, which you have done. You can defame me and damage my income and reputation as an author, as you have done. You can demonize me as a conspiracy theorist, as an anti-vaxxer, a COVID denier, an idiot, an extremist, which you have done. You can haul me into criminal court and make me sit here, in Germany, in front of my wife, who is Jewish, and deny that I am an anti-Semite who wants to relativize the Holocaust. You have the power to do all these things. However, I hope that you will at least have the integrity to call this what it is, and not hide behind false accusations that I am somehow supporting the Nazis by comparing the rise of a new form of totalitarianism to the rise of an earlier totalitarian system, one that took hold of and ultimately destroyed this country in the 20th century, and murdered millions in the process, because too few Germans had the courage to stand up and oppose it when it first began. I hope that you will at least have the integrity to not pretend that you actually believe I am disseminating pro-Nazi propaganda when you know very well that is not what I'm doing. No one with any integrity believes that this is what I am doing. No one with any integrity believes that is what my tweets in 2022 were doing. Every journalist that has covered my case, everyone in this courtroom, understands what this prosecution is actually about. It has nothing to do with punishing people who actually disseminate pro-Nazi propaganda. It is about punishing dissent and making an example of dissidents in order to intimidate others into silence. That is not how democratic nations function. That is how totalitarian systems function. What I hope, even more, is that this court will put an end to this prosecution and apply the law fairly and not allow it to be used as a pretext to punish people like me who criticise government dictates, people who expose the lies of government officials, people who refuse to deny facts, who refuse to perform absurd rituals of obedience on command, who refuse to unquestioningly follow orders. Because the issue here is much larger and much more important than my little tweet case. We are, once again, at a crossroads. Not just here in Germany, but throughout the West. People went a little crazy, a little fascist, during the so-called Covid pandemic, and now here we are, 
There are two roads ahead. We have to choose. You, me, all of us. One road leads back to the rule of law, to democratic principles. The other road leads to authoritarianism, to societies where authorities rule by decree and force and twist the law into anything they want and dictate what is and isn't reality and abuse their power to silence anyone who disagrees with them. That is the road to totalitarianism. We have been down that road before. Please, let's not do it again. End quote. So there we are. That is what I wanted to share, that in particular, but, but those three stories. Um, three items I think of good news. A bit sobering, that speech, isn't it? Quite a remarkable speech. I shall, of course, include links in the show notes. And uh, just before I close, I thought I would mention a few things that are coming up, hopefully on TMR in the weeks and months ahead. Um, I should be speaking to Dr. Gary Sidley, who is a former consultant clinical psychologist about the government's use of nudge techniques during COVID and indeed their use of nudge techniques more widely. Um, should be speaking again to our good friend Anthony Rotuno for one of our one-to-one -one conversations, um, looking at, well, discussing what you might call truther epistemology. Okay, so that's to do with the so-called truth movement, etc. Um, with reference to the film The Matrix, so not a review, but using that as a springboard for discussion for obvious reasons, it's become such an important feature of the so-called truth movement. Um, hopefully also speaking to Vince McCann, who we've spoken to before on the program, about his evangelism amongst uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and others, um, asking him about his uh, approach to that, because he's really very good at it. Um, also, hopefully, uh, some interviews with Dr. Martin Erdman about one or more of his books. Um, another interview with Jacob Hornberger, this time on the Zapruder film Mystery, um, and possible interviews in the area of world religions, philosophy of miracle, and the orality of scripture. And um, no doubt some roundtables on various movies that have connections to themes explored on the TMR over the last however many years. So that's it for today. Um, as I say, essentially to keep in touch and to share those three things which I thought were worth sharing, particularly the last one about what happened with uh, C.J. Hopkins. Um, hope you enjoyed that. And um, it only remains for me to say you have been listening to me, Julian Charles of themindrenewed.com. And I look forward to speaking to you again in the very near future. Podcast music by the brilliant Anthony Rajakoff, attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international. Show notes for this program can be found at themindrenewed, themindrenewed.com. <laughs>